<clears throat> well, welcome back to Safe Haven. If, if this is your first time, welcome to Safe Haven Church, uh, where we as a church go verse by verse, line by line, straight through books of the Bible. And um, we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 15 today. That's not by happenstance. It's because we've been journeying through this bad boy. Tyler Lee did a fantastic job of, of doing chapter 14 for us last week. Thank you, Tyler. And, uh, and today we're going to we're really going to um, we're going to cover a lot of ground in a very short time. And so, but we're going to begin in, in chapter 15. But before we do that, we're going to need to play a game. And the reason we're going to need to play a game is to maybe help understand the way that we're going to journey through the text today. And so this game is going to be called, What is This? Now, we've done this game before um, when we were out at the school or maybe at the theater, something like that. We've done this game before. And the way this game works is we'll pop something on the screen and you take a look at it and see if you can figure out what is said thing on the screen. So the first one is a freebie, all right? If you, get it, if you get the first one wrong, it's okay. You can get the second one right. But, so the first one will be this. We'll pop this on the screen. Okay. Now, what is this? So, so take you a quick look at it. All right. You got it? Got it? All right. You got your answer in your head? All right. Let's go ahead. Now, here's what this really is. It's a guitar. How many of you guessed that the first thing was a guitar? Okay, there's a couple of people in the room that guess it was a guitar. So this is how the game works. So we've got something that's really honed in, and then we'll back up. Now, only one more, because we don't want to spend all our time playing games today. But I do think this will help us understand where we're going. So the second one will be this. Here we go. Now, take a deep look at it. It's a little bit harder than a guitar. Get you a good look at it. Whisper to your neighbor what you think it is. Have fun with it. Okay. Did anyone guess this? A page out of Romeo and Juliet. Nobody. Okay. You did. You're a liar. Right? Revelation 21. Uh, so, so it's a zoomed in picture of a page. And so here's what I want us to see. A lot of times, if we're not careful, um, we will come to Scripture and we can, especially as our church, because we are an exegetical teaching church, we can dive so deep... Internally, looking at the minutia of every detail that will miss the beauty of the big picture. And so today, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground. And instead of choosing option A going through the book of Revelation, because we have had this. A lot of people ask us, Troy, we spent two years in the book of Acts, and we're going to finish Revelation in three months. Like, how is that even possible? We've had people ask us that. Why are we covering so much ground so fast? Because Revelation is certainly a book to where you can go option A and get lost in the unknown details and the minutia and, the, and looking at and kind of maybe it means this or maybe it doesn't mean this. And you, we could spend the rest of our time as a church in the book of Revelation if we wanted to. And so what we've chosen to do rather than take that option is option B is to learn from the big picture view of uh, uh, chunks of the book of Revelation. So maybe that kind of helps you understand. And I wanted to address that because, again, it's a very real question that we've had people asking us, sending in emails and, and asking us that kind of thing. Why are we doing this so fast? So that helps you understand. So once again, um, maybe in that same uh, tone, we're going to give the recap screen. So here's the recap of where we've been as a church. Again, if you want to take a picture of it, we'll keep filling this up until we get all the way through. Um, we've looked at... 
Uh, chapter 1 was Jesus telling the book of Revelation is to point out these soon coming things. Chapter 2 and 3 was the seven letters to the seven churches, if you'll remember, very real churches who got affirmations and also de-affirmations and things they needed to work on. Chapter 4 and 5, uh, John gave us the view of eternity and that the throne room and the centerpiece of heaven is Christ and the activity of the Lamb. Uh, chapter 6 and 7 broke out these seven seals, and so you can... Listen online as to what those were or, or just kind of look at those. Then there was the seven trumpet judgments. So that's just what happened through all of that that John saw. Then we saw chapter 10 and chapter 11, uh, which was a delay to the end of times. So again, chapter 1, this is all going to be about the end, but the end was delayed. Why? Because God was extending grace to believers uh, and, and extending grace to unbelievers an opportunity to respond. Chapter 11 and 12 was finally that seventh trumpet, if you will, the midnight cry. And that's when Andrew and all those guys sang a song that half the church had no idea what it was, and the other half went straight to glory as the southern gospel midnight cry was sung. Um, and so then Satan starts a fight. Chapter 13 was the Antichrist and what all the Antichrist means and the mark of the beast and 666 and all these type things. And is it a microchip and is it a tattoo and is it uh, Julie Beth's social security card number? Is it What is it? Chapter 14, um, as Tyler led us through last week, focused on there is this hour of judgment coming. And so there was this reaping of this harvest, and, and that's where we got last week. And today, we're going to hit chapter 15 through 18. And so we're going to hit all of these chapters together. And so some of you, I just heard some of you go, whoa, because you're like, okay, Troy, you're going to have us here till 1 o'clock this afternoon. No, this is... We're going to blow through it in a way that we typically don't do. But here's the point of chapter 15 through 18. If you're taking notes or if you have a journal, uh, go ahead and pop that up there, Austin. Um, it's going to be this heavy dose of God's just and righteous wrath. And so today, again, in the spirit of Christmas, welcome to a section on God's wrath, if you will. But that's where we find ourselves in this text. <clears throat> and so today... It's, we're going to start with this very odd, but I think uh, very important and helpful passage of Scripture before we get into Revelation 15 through 18. That being Luke chapter 22, 39 through 34. <clears throat> That's going to pop on the screen, so let's go ahead and pop that on the screen. Here is what Luke chapter 22 says. This is the physician Luke recounting Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so he says this, And he came out, and he went, Jesus, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, catch this, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. Watch this. And there appeared to Jesus an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, three questions I want to ask you real fast in relation to that passage. Uh, number one, just a side note the blood of Christ did not begin to flow at the cross. The blood of Christ actually began to flow in the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's just an interesting little note here. But three questions based out of this. 
<clears throat> what would cause Jesus to say, remove this cup from me? Like, why would the God of the universe, somebody fully divine, say, remove this cup from me? Remember, Jesus is the exact same guy who says, do not be anxious. So why would Jesus, the one who says, don't be anxious, now all of a sudden flip to a point where he's so anxious that he says, God, take this away from me. I don't, I don't want this. What is it? What's, what's spectacular about this moment? Question two. Why would an angel be sent to minister directly to Jesus in this moment? Now remember, Jesus is not only one who said he was God divine, but Jesus is the one who proved he was God divine. So why would an angel be sent to minister to God divine? I mean, shouldn't God divine be self-sufficient in and of himself? So he's ministered to in this moment. Question three. Why would Jesus begin to sweat drops of blood as noted by Luke? Now, just for kicks and giggles and for 10,000 bonus points today, what was Luke's occupation? Say it out loud. He was a doctor. He was a physician. So this particularly caught Luke's attention. And it's particular and peculiar to the Gospel of Luke. So Luke saw this and, and it was this anomaly. He was like... Whoa, what is going on? In other words, it's an incredibly rare phenomenon that begins to occur when someone is under so much stress that the capillaries in their bodies literally begin to erupt and blood begins to pour out of their body. So with all that said, would you agree with me that there's something very specific and peculiar about this moment? Would you agree with that? There's something different. There's something... Interesting. Well, here's what I'm trying to get at. And this will be on the screen. To understand the Messiah's termination in Luke, we must understand the earth's termination in Revelation 15 through 18. And so our tendency is to hop right past sections. When I popped on the screen, I could see it on your faces. I wish we would have had the camera in reverse videoing you. When I popped on the screen, Revelation 15 through 18 is going to be this grand big moment about God's wrath. I could see in here, everybody went, oh, oh, I don't know. I, how about Marianne hop right back up there and start singing again? <laughs> Can Britt pop that fiddle out again? Oh, he didn't play the fiddle. Sorry. That's a harmonica. This is a fiddle. That's not a fiddle. This is a fiddle. We're chasing a big rabbit. Stop, grab the rabbit, throw him away. Okay. I would just rather that occur, is, is kind of what you, you guys were thinking. We will never understand the depths of the garden unless we understand God's wrath. And so today, this is kind of where this passage takes us. And so dying is one thing. And so for the Messiah to be terminated and to die, is that's one thing. People experience death every day. People face death face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball every day. But the people that you know that face death, did they begin to sweat drops of blood? So there's something peculiar or unique about Christ's death that's just different than the termination of a body. <clears throat> and so here's the deal. What caused Christ to begin to sweat drops of blood and provide that much pressure and that much stress was not that he was going to die. For Christ to die and rise again, I mean, good grief, he's God. 
The difference was he knew that he was about to drink the fullness of the wrath of God. And that made God divine, who became God on earth, tremble. Tremble to the point where he said, what did it just say? God, if it can be, let me drink this cup. Is that what he said? No, no, no. What did he say? If possible. Say it out loud. Take it away from me. I don't want this. I don't want to drink this. There's something unique about this that's just different that I don't want any part of. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves. The wrath of God is not a joke. It's not something that's simple. And yeah, church, listen, paradise is coming. Some of y'all have been like, all right, well, what's chapter 19? Don't go there yet. It's awesome. (laughs) Paradise is coming. And next week, we're going to hit Revelation 19. And you want to talk about a Thanksgiving feast? It is going to be an awesome passage. But let's not jump there and bypass four chapters that God has given us in His divine Word. And so what I'm trying to say is this. God in His sovereignty, and we believe highly in God's sovereignty, God in His sovereignty has us here in chapters 15 through 18 today for a reason. You didn't wake up on your own volition. Now, volitionally, you did choose to come this morning. But God in His sovereignty also knew exactly where you would be and exactly what you needed. He knew what I needed. And so as we dive through this today, here's what I want to say. It's going to be a lot about God's wrath, but it's for your good. It's for my good. God in His sovereignty is going to teach us something today. Let's not bypass this and and reflect on the passage of Scripture. Let's be men and women. Let's put on our big boy pants and our big boy shoes and our big boy hats. Let's tie them all up and let's chew into the text today. This is good for us. This is good for your kids. I've had multiple conversations already going, Hey, Troy, we're so glad that you guys are that we're now in a building. But man, I don't know if I could bring my kids through the book of Revelation. We tried one time and it was really harsh. And I don't know that I want them to hear it anymore. When we say things like that, what we say is God's word is not good for my children. It's a terrible line of thought. This is good for our kids. And this is good for our church as a whole. There's purpose and meaning in this. So, let's cover four chapters of Revelation in ten minutes. You ready? Here we go. Let's do this. Obviously, we cannot read all of the passage aloud like we typically do. At our church, we read straight through the Bible. We can't do that today, so it's going to be a little bit different. Um, So, I will trust that you're going to read this on your own today. It'll provide for some great lunch conversation. You can read this aloud over your, over your meal. Um, but you'll need to fact check the preacher. So fact check me. Do it. Study. Be like good Bereans who study the text. So let's do this. Chapter 15, as a lump sum whole. Here we go. Chapter 15, what you're going to find in that chapter of Scripture is God's stored up wrath will be completely poured out. That's what happens all the way through chapter 15 of the book of Revelation. John sees this. And Romans chapter 2 says this, that our sinful choices that we make are actually storing up God's wrath for ourselves in the day of judgment. 
So when we choose to sin, that is being packed up and, and, and maybe like a cannon with a, um, the, 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 the stuff that goes boom. <laughs> um, okay, y'all know what I'm talking about. Gunpowder. Thank you. The gunpowder, it's, it's like that. It's being stored up is the imagery here. And so <clears throat> this will be completely poured out. According to this chapter of Scripture, the good news is that, according to 15 verse 1, um, that after this, the wrath of God is finished. So we've seen a lot of wrath and a lot of judgment through our journey through Revelation. And he says, after this moment, this is the finality of wrath. This is what the end of wrath will look like. Now here's the bad news. The bad news is that the wrath of God in this moment is not a wink and a nod joke. It's not, hey, hey, paradise is coming, but you know, wrath is coming too. It's not like that at all. It's not a wink and a nod. It's, it's, it's very real in this chunk of Scripture. And the reason I say that is this. Because a distorted view of grace, which I believe we can buy into real fast, is one that has no room for reflecting on God's wrath. And so when we treat grace as if it's just all grace, all grace, all grace, 90% and then 10% wrath, we're not thinking rightly biblically. It's not a good balanced whole. And so we see this. So this distorted view of grace is one that has no room for God's wrath. And so today we're forced to look at this. It's love wins. Some of you guys have read the book. By Rob Bell. And so in this book, this is the whole point. That ultimately love just wins and there is no wrath. And, and here's what I would say about this passage of Scripture. And, and I, man, I grew up devouring Rob Bell's NUMA videos like many of you guys did. Fantastic stuff. But at some point, Rob chose to just do away with God's wrath. And in doing so, basically did away with Scripture, which is ultimately what led him to deny the faith. And he now says, I'm not a believer at all. It's the logical end. Once you start doing away with portions, you'll end up doing away with all. So that's where he ended. And so this reminds us that, that love does win, but love had an incredibly wrathful price. And somebody has to pay it. And so it's the picture here in chapter 15 is it's just that of dynamite. Dynamite's powerful blast is in direct relation to the amount that's packed in altogether in a tight spot. And so what we're reminded of in chapter 15 is in sin, sinful choices are storing up, packing up dynamite blasts of God's wrath. That's chapter 15. Hang on. It gets worse. Chapter 16. In chapter 16, what we see is that God's wrath is very physical. It's very deadly. It's very bloody. It's very hot. It's very dark. It's very exposing. It's very, very eternal. And it's poured out in these various all-encompassing ways. Again, read this passage of Scripture. And what you're going to find in, in verses 2 through 17, there's these seven angels. And these seven angels are the agents of pouring out God's wrath. Angel 1 pours out harmful and painful sores. 
across humanity there at the end of times. Angel 2, every living thing that is in the sea is killed. Angel 3, all of water is turned to blood. And you go, okay, well that is, A, it's kind of gross. Um, but remember, all water, so much so that in that passage of Scripture, even to drink anything means that you'll have to drink water uh, that is blood if you take this futurist perspective view. Angel 5 plunges the world into this shocking, devastating darkness. I skipped Angel 4. Angel 4 pours out this scorching, fierce heat that begins to burn mankind. After that, it immediately turns to darkness, John says, which plunges in this shocking darkness. Angel 6, water is then completely removed from the earth, and demonic strongholds at this moment begin to emerge, actually popping out of people in this passage of Scripture. And Angel 7, the world is then destroyed, and finally the angel proclaims, it is done. And you go, Troy, that sounds like a bizarre thing that you just dreamed up in your mind. Again, please go read the word. I, 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 I have a crazy mind, but I couldn't come up with this stuff. And so this is what John says that he sees in the end. So my point is this. There is a holy fear and awe that is healthy for us. There's an aspect of a holy fear of God and awe at His power and judgment that is, is healthy for us. Let's not just always do away with that. And we'll have this unhealthy tendency a lot of times to turn God's wrath into something like parental disappointment. Now, you all know how that goes, especially Macy Lane in this room. Macy Lane knows how parental disappointment goes, especially when it's, I'm the one that's in charge of punishing her. The boys... I'll give them God's fury. Macy Lane, you are in trouble. It is time. Come here. I have this spaghetti noodle, and I'm about to pop you right in the arm with it. Right? It, it's, we, and here's the thing. Because of the way that we have an improper balance of justice, and we'll just kind of wink and nod at, at disapproval, if we're not careful, we'll turn God's punishment into something like the way that we parent and kind of grant soft punishment. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We'll have an unhealthy tendency to do that. And here's what chapter 16 is teaching us. That the greatest human problem is not that we're lost and need to find our way back to God on a spiritual journey. That's, that's big, but that's not our greatest problem. The greatest problem, according to chapter 16, is that the all-encompassing wrath of God is target locked on sinners. Like locked. Like a pilot has locked in. And it doesn't matter where it goes, that bullet and that rocket is going to hit its target. And Revelation chapter 16 is screaming at us. This is what we should fear. God's wrath is real. It's locked in and it's all of these things, and apart from Christ, hear me clear, apart from Christ, the wrath of God will hit its target. It will. Chapter 17. Like, Troy, whoa, why couldn't we just stop at 16? 
No, no, let's, let's keep going. Chapter 17. Chapter 17, in that passage of Scripture, we're reminded that God's wrath then will completely purify the earth from sin, sinners, and Satan forever. What you'll find in 17 verse 8 is the beast is about to arise and go to destruction. And then chapter 17 verse 14, you'll find out that the Lamb will conquer all. And so this is a grand reminder. Chapter 17, if you get nothing else out of it, is a grand reminder that we all, we worship something. Everybody worships something. Um, Atheists. You go, well, Troy, an atheist can't worship. An atheist absolutely worships. An atheist worships themselves as the arbiter of truth. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. That can't be right. And in all of the I don't believes is saying, therefore, I'm the arbiter of truth. I know what's right. And so an atheist actually worships themselves and their mind and their ability to comprehend the end. Religion. Religion worships this self as a capable worker bee who can do enough things to maybe balance out the good and the bad. And if I do enough good, then I'll balance out the bad, and then God's wrath will be diverted from me. He'll look at me and he'll go, hey, well, they've they've done enough. They'll get in. And that's kind of what religion can get at. Even a cultural churchianity. I think we can speak to this definitely in our culture. Churchianity is basically just worshiping moralism. I go to church to learn good morals, to learn how to be a good person. And if I'm a good person, then I'll avoid the wrath of God. It's kind of a cultural mindset. So I show up on Sunday mornings. I show up on Wednesday nights. I show, which we don't have Wednesday nights, but just go to community group. I, you know, I'm, I'm, here, I'm learning all these morals, and I put myself in position to learn all these morals so that I can do enough good. And here's the question that 17 poses for us. Not... Do you work hard enough? Not are you a good moralist? Not are you chasing after the Lord to prove to Him that you can earn something? The question in all of this is, are you sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ plus nothing? Is it Jesus plus nothing or is it Jesus plus something? Is it Jesus plus I do this, Jesus plus I whatever? Or is it all of my thoughts, all of my hobbies, all of my vacation, all of my familying, all of my... I am chasing after Jesus because that's the only shot I got at getting in. Where is it leading you to is what 17 screams to us. Is it all about the gospel of Jesus? Chapter 18. Chapter 18, we find out that all of these things occur, occur, a purifying occurs. And then chapter 18, it gets real personal and reminds us that the trinkets of this world are not worth eternally drinking God's wrath. And so it goes from this big, broad perspective into these very pointed things that he says. And the whole point of chapter 18 is this, the, the world is just not worth it. Everything that the world has to offer is just not worth it. Trinkets have no value in the end on the day of judgment. They hold no value. Yesterday I I texted Nielsen Barnett because I was perusing through Facebook Marketplace and 
obviously looking for Jeep CJ7s because what else would you look for on Facebook Marketplace, particularly 1986 if you have one in your garage. Um, and, and I ran across this motorcycle and I have no, and not only was it a motorcycle, but it was a 50cc motorcycle. So this little bitty motorcycle. And it caught my eye because it had a good price on it. And so I look at it and I was like, oh man, that's really cool. And then I, I call Nielsen, then I text Nielsen. I was like, because he knows a lot about motorcycles. And I'm like, do you think this is a good buy? Could, could we flip it and resell it? We, and all of a sudden, I'm just swallowed by this moment of this 50cc piece of plastic death. Right? I'm locked in on this little thing. If you know my children, not nary one of my kids and their big long legs are going to fit on a little bitty tiny 50cc motorcycle. It was the craziest thing and I'm just kind of locked in. What locks you in? That's what chapter 18 screams at us. Don't let whatever it is that locks you in, lock you in. And he gets very specific and he says this in verse 3. All nations have drunk the wine, been intoxicated by the world's passions. And he lists all of these things. I'm sorry that it shifted for all the OCD folks in here. The computer shifted it. It was put in in order. Right? But nonetheless, it shifted. And these are all the things that he says. Have you drunk the wine of sexual immorality, power, luxurious living, glorified yourself, gold, silver, wood, iron, marble, spices, clothing, oils, perfumes, foods, delicacies, horses, chariots, slaves, human souls, musicians, craftsmen, brides, bridegrooms. And, and, and before you get nitpicky and begin to justify this away in your mind and go, I don't deal with horses and chariots, you know where John's going with this. It's broad pictures to point us to the fact that if we're not careful, something will catch our eye more than the glory of God. Careful about that is what he's screaming at us. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you in the end. Never to be found again, chapter 18, verse 14 ends with. So listen clear to John's point. The moment in which we choose to chase after whatever trinket it is before the glory of God. is the moment that we also choose to chase after the wrath of God. That's the picture that the Scripture paints. So this warning is it's big. It's not a joke. It's not a wink and a nod. Sin is not something that we play with. It's, it's, this is big to God. And in which we turn towards God's wrath is the moment that no one will in the end say, but I didn't know. I didn't know that it was that big a deal. I just thought it was something simple. That's the weight that I hope we're feeling. God's not after behavior modification. God is after shepherding our hearts and modifying our hearts. He's making us fit for the kingdom. And His wrath is an agency of which that will either occur forcefully or will bow now 
in honor of Him. So, what can we know for sure about God's wrath as we wrap it up? What can we know for sure? And and I want to challenge you right now to, to fight Satan's whisper in your ear. I want to to challenge you to fight that. We know that there are demonic forces at work and we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, against principalities and powers of darkness. We know that to be true. So we stand together as believers and bind that in the name of Jesus. But some of you are hearing this whisper in your head right now. Oh, you're above having extended thoughts of God's wrath. You're you're above that. You don't need to think about that. Fight that. If God's sovereign, chapter 15, 16, 17, 18 is for you and me and all of us. Fight that. What can we know for sure about God's wrath according to this passage? Number one, God's wrath is provoked by our volitional choices. Number two, God's wrath is being stored up, packed together until He chooses to pour it out. Number three, God's wrath is total in extent. It's not partial. Number four, God's wrath is just in calculation. Don't you dare start arguing, well, that's not very just of a righteous God to pour out His wrath. Oh, it's very just. Why? Because He's holy. Nothing impure will ever enter into His presence. You have the right to say what's just when you become God. When it's your game. Until then, you have no argument of what's just and what's not just. We bow before God because He's God. It's just. If He chooses to damn all of us, He is just. If He chooses to allow us, any of us, to be saved, it's grace. And grace alone. Number five, God's wrath is eternal in length. And so I end with this statement here. Only those who are keenly aware of God's wrath are ever truly amazed by God's grace. And so church, that takes us right back to where we started the whole thing today, doesn't it? Right back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Christ saw your dynamite stick. Where Christ saw my dynamite stick. Where Christ saw the dynamite sticks of every tribe, tongue, nation, and all who would ever believe. And in that moment in Luke 22, as his flesh begun rupturing, at the thought of drinking the fullness of the wrath of God. His unparalleled love 
overcame his flesh and expressed it in, but not my will, but yours be done. And he laid on all believers' dynamite sticks for all eternity. The love of Christ came at a great cost. The drinking of the fullness of the wrath of God. How dare we skip over that and treat it like it's not important. The band's going to come back up. The only person who could ever complain about God's wrath being unjust was Christ. Why? Because He's the only perfect, truly innocent one who ever experienced God's punishment. In His innocence, not only did He experience God's punishment, but the scandal of the gospel is that He chose. That He peered through the corridor of time and however that works and said, I'll lay on Hunter's dynamite stick. I'll lay on Bibby's dynamite stick. I'll lay on Bone's dynamite stick. I'll lay on Jacob's dynamite stick. I'll even lay on Risa's dynamite stick. I'll lay on Victoria's dynamite stick. Which one of the Tolberts wants the dynamite stick? I'll lay on it. That's his love. And so, church, today, be astonished at God's wrath. And be astonished at the cross. Let's pray together.